HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. It's a butter egg made from plants. Bring more customers in your doors with Just Egg. Start with a free sample at ju.st hrn. Welcome to The Big Food Question, a podcast exploring the most urgent questions from a food industry in crisis. I'm Hannah Forden, HRN's program manager and one of this show's producers. Today we're asking, what mental health challenges do hospitality workers face? And how can the industry create effective support systems? Many of our episodes on The Big Food Question present problems in the world of food that have been exacerbated by COVID-19. This story begins much the same way, with cultural and structural challenges that have created a perfect storm when combined with the impacts of the pandemic. Let's start by looking back at the last few years. In 2017, the biggest headlines in the culinary world were about the Me Too movement, we heard all-too-common stories of harassment and sexual violence. The following year, another trauma rocked our community, the loss of Anthony Bourdain. Many came forward to share that they, too, carried the burden of mental illness. In 2020, the food world was no different from other cultural institutions as we took a long, hard look at how systemic racism had shaped and stifled society. Brave individuals told their stories of racial discrimination and abuse. These issues are big, they're painful, and they're not new. And they're not specific to restaurants, but when combined with the industries, low hourly wages and reliance on tipping, lack of health insurance or paid time off, normalization of substance misuse, the many power imbalances encouraged by tipping— it all converged into a veritable hurricane this last year. We're going to start with the big picture, looking at the restaurant industry and how deeply ingrained hierarchies and structures, as well as widely accepted destructive coping methods, need to shift. Then we're going to zoom in, seeking advice from experts on how we as individuals can tend to our psychological well-being and what sort of support is out there. During the pandemic, it's easy to feel like we're each living on our own islands and alone in our struggles. 
as soon as the pandemic hit and I realized, oh, we're going to have to be at home, quarantined, by ourselves, isolated, disconnected, that's when it really got serious. I understand that isolation is the enemy of mental health and addiction. You know, there's a famous saying that says the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. It felt like the amount of collective grief I was feeling in those first couple months was like nothing I've ever experienced. Meet Hassel. So my name is Hassel Avilas, and I am a hospitality and culinary industry veteran. I've been in the industry since I was a teenager, so that's, I'm dating myself here, but that's over 20 years. And I, you know, have gone anywhere from working every front of house position you can imagine, all the way to owning a restaurant, also launching event, food event business um, for a couple years. And that has all, that during that entire time, I have lived with depression and anxiety. So struggled with mental illness um, in an industry where it's not often discussed. Um, You know, we were raised in an industry that often told us to check our emotions at the door. And it was a very um, oppressive work environment to grow up in. And that experience led me to eventually be one of the founders of Not 9 to 5, which is a nonprofit organization that focuses on empowering hospitality, food and beverage service workers by mobilizing education and support for mental health and substance use. Hassel and her collaborator, Ariel Copeland, saw a need in the restaurant community where they're based in Toronto and decided to get to work. As a nonprofit organization, we're actually in our infancy. It's been less than a year since we incorporated. And what a first year to arrive on the scene. As much as 2020 was full of so much loss, grief, trauma, and devastation, in a way, it's been really good for the mental health and substance use support conversation because a lot more people are listening. A lot more people are demanding this kind of um, help. And a lot more people are growing the conversation in their own workplace, in their own lives, and as well in the mainstream. You're seeing it being discussed in a much more open way than I've ever seen. With the help of mental health professionals, Not 9 to 5 has compiled industry-specific resources for individuals looking for mental health support. Their Instagram is a daily source of practical advice for dealing with the challenges that issues like depression and substance use disorder can present. In hospitality, there is a culture that makes these challenges especially difficult to work through. When you work in restaurants and bars, hotels, cafes, like you name it, a lot of times what happens is you're actually rewarded with substances. So that is an extremely problematic behavior that has been, again, not just normalized, but glamorized. You're encouraging your staff to celebrate a good day or a bad day with a substance. You know, I've had a really excellent service. We did so well. Let's go celebrate with shots. Or we had a terrible service. Everything went wrong. Let's go drown our sorrows with another substance. And I've seen this happen myself, um, but I've also heard of it happening 
and still is happening to this day, you know, where these substances and alcohol is provided by the employer. So, you know, you're, you're literally creating a lot of the, the problems because you're rewarding people. And what happens in your brain when you reward someone with something is that it creates neural pathways in your brain. You start to associate certain emotions with certain behavior. And then that just gets cemented day after day, month after month, year after year. Um, and when people you admire and look up to or, you know, you're managed by are, are doing this, um, it leaves very little room to do otherwise. Each of us has a roster of coping mechanisms that we learn throughout our lives, some productive and others destructive. We pick up on behavior modeled to us by caretakers, by peers, and by coworkers. In times of stress or trauma, these habits and how they serve us can make or break our physical health. But it's never too late to build new skills and to get the help we need to thrive. Hassel has this knack for naming and clarifying subjects that many of us struggle to find language for. Learning about your own coping, you know, or self-care strategies. I think the really important thing is just understanding that mental health is health. You know, that everyone has mental health in the same way that everyone has physical health. And I think that's not discussed enough just in general, you know, in school or in the world. And so the problem is that if we don't understand that, that's a, like a really just like the basic, like the start of it all. If you don't understand that if you have challenges with your mental health, that that's just like a natural reaction to events in your life. And instead, if you are blaming yourself and, and putting like shame around that as well, that how harmful that can be. So it's, you know, it's even if you don't have challenges to your mental health, I think it's so important to understand that everyone has it and that, you know, it's just um, it's just something that, that will always be affected by your environment or your life. And so why is that particularly important if I'm a chef and I'm going to be cooking in a kitchen or why is that important if I'm a bartender and I just want to sling some drinks? Well, the reason why that's important is because unfortunately, the restaurant bar food and beverage industry, for the most part, is built of on a very oppressive system. And, you know, the brigade system, if you look into the history of the brigade system, um, the military has a brigade system, but the culinary industry also has the brigade de cuisine. And most kitchens are influenced by that system. With such staunch hierarchies enforced by the militaristic brigade system, Hassel looks to management to take the lead on making essential cultural changes. Once they as leaders are able to make the first step towards a different way of functioning at work, the culture of a workplace can begin to shift. What's really lacking in our industry is psychological safety. So, you know, a lot of people are working in environments where they don't feel safe. They don't feel comfortable. And, and the problem with is when if you don't have psychological safety in the workplace, you, um, you kind of are building a system that doesn't allow for progress, innovation, and creativity to thrive. Psychological safety. Now, anyone working in a restaurant has to do a food safety training through the health department. 
what temperature does poultry have to be cooked to? Employees must wash hands. You know the drill. But psychological safety is not a concept that many of us have learned about in the workplace. What does that actually mean when I'm saying psychological safety? Like, what is she talking about? What I mean by that in very plain English is that people feel comfortable and safe to take risks, be vulnerable in front of each other and make mistakes without any fear of a negative consequence. And so if I burn a dish, if I break a dish, if I forget the order for the table, if I booked the wrong time, if, you know, um, if I have something going on in my life and I need to talk about it with my manager and I need to be vulnerable with them, if I don't feel comfortable taking that risk and being vulnerable like that or making mistakes because I'm worried that I'm going to lose my job or I'm worried that I'm not going to be promoted to the next position or I'm worried that, you know, I'm going to be judged by my peers, then you don't have psychological safety in the workplace. Not 9 to 5 offers courses to restaurant managers on how to combat this culture where there is little tolerance of vulnerability and can therefore aggravate existing risk factors for depression and substance misuse. When you want to foster more of that environment, you have to role model it. So you have to be doing it yourself. You have to be vulnerable yourself. You're a leader, a manager, anyone in the workplace that has influence over their peers, which I would argue is anyone. I think we all have more influence than we realize. When something goes wrong, you don't place blame, you focus on solutions. When someone's trying to talk to you about something, you practice active listening and you try to show that you understand and validate their thoughts. Um, A lot of times what people don't realize is active listening is actually one of the most helpful tools and skills that you can do. If you don't know what I mean by active listening, again, I would um, encourage you to... um, Google the term active listening. Um, All it means is that you're listening to understand and not to respond. So oftentimes we're listening to respond. We're listening, but we're not really listening. We're thinking of what I'm going to say back to you when you're done talking. And so what active listening means is that you're listening with your mind and your body. So you're facing the person, you're not on your phone, you're looking at them in the eyes, um, you know, and you're really trying to understand what this person's trying to share with you. Um, Another thing would be to make sure that you're someone that is approachable, that you're making time and space for people to actually approach you with things. It's not possible to create this kind of emotional and and psychological safety in the workplace if you'd never make time for conversations. Um, So you have to be available and you have to build a rapport with your team. Another last point that I'll make on psychological safety and how to create that kind of environment is involving your team. So we often think because I'm a manager, I'm a leader, I own the place, I know better. That's not entirely true for anyone. And it doesn't matter who you are or how experienced you are. Um, All of us need to learn from each other. And the reason why I say that is because we have an industry that is built on not doing any of these things. So all of this is new to us. There's no one that's like a quote unquote expert on these things in our industry because it hasn't existed. You know, we're all trailblazing right now. We're all figuring this out as we go. So involving your team is crucial. Seeking input, opinions, feedback from your coworkers um, and your staff, acknowledging their input 
when you make your decisions is fundamental to creating this. And that doesn't mean that you have to do everything that they suggest, but it does mean that you have to involve them in the process. One of the basic tenets of human psychology is that we all have a deep, intrinsic need to be seen and heard. In a hectic workplace like a restaurant, it's easy to overlook one's own needs and the needs of folks around you. During moments of personal or cultural trauma or grief, having a safe place where you and your feelings can be witnessed and accepted becomes essential. A lot of folks are out of work right now or on furlough. And the ways in which their managers and bosses communicated with them throughout the pandemic can be really important. If you're listening and you own a business and you employ people, I think it's really important to acknowledge to your staff verbally, but also in the written word, that we're all, you know, living through a trauma. The pandemic is a trauma. And I think acknowledging that is very important and responding to that as in a very serious way, like you would any other trauma, is extremely vital if you consider yourself, you know, an employer that provides a stable and healthy workplace. Um, Acknowledging the collective grief is extremely important because the first few months it hurt a lot and I remember like crying even sometimes hearing some of my friends lose their businesses. But then after a couple months passed, I became desensitized and I stopped feeling and a lot of emotional numbness came up and not just for me, I I see it and I still happen to see it in people. Um, They can't even go there in terms of feeling the sadness. Shifting the culture of a whole industry might seem like a daunting task. Restaurants are short on cash, on time, and right now they're struggling to stay in business. But a big part of me believes that in the wake of a disaster like COVID lies the best opportunity and time to rebuild the culture from the ground up. We need to be learning from other industries. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. Um, We just need to give our industry the software upgrade that it's missing. And I think like that's what it really comes down to for me is that it, it is possible for our industry to look different. It is possible for our industry to operate in a different way that is not as harmful. It doesn't mean just because it's been this way this long, it doesn't mean we have to continue it. Um, and one of the, the one of the things that I'll leave you with that's like one of my favorite things to share um, and and to repeat over and over is that for so long, there's been so much emphasis on the sustainability and ethical treatment of the ingredients that we use in our menus. I'm trying to push us to have the same focus on the sustainability and ethical treatment of the people producing, growing, serving, creating, and cooking everything we consume. I think for too long, we've been focusing on things and stuff. And I think we need to move towards focusing on people. At the end of the day, people are the greatest asset of any business. Um, And we need to understand that, you know, your, your staff, your labor is not a problematic line item on the budget. It's actually an asset. And any investor will tell you that anyone that, you know, works in the world of assets will tell you, you don't deplete your assets. You invest in your assets to see a return on investment. So the return on investment will come. There's a lot of research that shows that there's ROI for workplace mental health, and it's just a matter 
of, you know, starting to shift and move the dial in that direction. We'll be right back to the big food question after a short break. Up next, we're going to hear about resources and techniques that individuals can use to care for their own psychological well-being. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. You can't have plant-based breakfast without a plant-based egg. Just Egg is now the fastest-growing egg brand in the United States. Bring more plant-based customers into your doors with easy-to-use Just Egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st hrn. Made from plants, Just Egg is a better egg for you and for the planet. It's healthier, with no cholesterol, and less saturated fat. And it's more sustainable. Just Egg uses less water and generates fewer carbon emissions. Most importantly, it's delicious. For our listeners who operate a food service establishment, you can get a sample for free. Head to ju.st hrn. Just Egg makes a delicious plant-based addition to any menu. It's available as a liquid scramble, great for omelets, frittatas, stir-fries, and French toast. There's also frozen, pre-baked, folded version that's ideal for filling breakfast sandwiches or topping salads. Chef Jose Andres called Just Egg mind-blowing, and Bon Appetit says, so good I feel guilty eating it. Put the fastest-growing egg brand on your menu. Get a free sample of Just Egg for your restaurant at ju.st hrn. Welcome back to The Big Food Question. I'm Hannah Forden. Today we're asking, what mental health challenges do hospitality workers face, and how can the industry create effective support systems? In the first part of the show, we heard from Hassel Avilas from the nonprofit Not 9 to 5. Her work is centered on helping managers foster a culture of psychological safety. We are almost a year into the COVID-19 pandemic. And while a lot of work can be done to equip workplaces with the tools for protecting individual mental health, many people are no longer working. A recent article in Eater cited that in December of 2020 alone, 372,000 jobs were lost in the U.S. hospitality industry. (sighs) Even a flawed workplace support system serves that human need to be seen heard and make connections. Meet Bobby Comforto. My working definition of grief is accepting the reality of a loss. And over and over and over again. And that it's actually our acceptance that helps us be in a place where we can work with it and process it in a better way. But it takes a long time to accept that it's really even happened. Bobby is a psychotherapist and social worker who specializes in bereavement and trauma. She is also a former chef. She and her daughter, Chef Zara Tangora, host HRN's show Processing, which tells stories about the intersection of food and grief. I spoke with Bobby about the compounded trauma that each of us is experiencing during the pandemic. There's different kinds of losses that we've had in COVID. There's the traumatic losses, certainly in the beginning in New York, and now there's been 440,000 deaths. Um, And then sometimes people have concurrent crises in their family, you know, they have, or in their lives, you know, they have physical illnesses that make things worse. 
They had financial problems to start. Um, they have um, other dynamics like dis disability in their family where they have to take care of people. And now there's a, an added burden. So there's a lot of, um, or maybe they had psychosocial stressors like mental illness or addiction or, you know, certainly poverty. So all those things are the traumatic end. And then there's the personal losses, the uncertainty that we have of the assumptive world, you know, the unpredictability of the future, which we still have, the interruption of our routines. Some of the, and then there's the social kinds of losses that we have, which we're talking about, and then the global losses. So it's really those different levels of traumatic loss, personal loss, social loss, and global loss. Her daughter, co-host, and restaurant industry veteran Zara Tangora emphasizes the importance of feeling and recognizing your feelings. Even though at times like this, it can feel like too much to process. And we're just like hearing information like that all the time. We're taking it in. We have to be like, oh my God, that's so sad. And then we have to keep moving on. You stop and realize the information you're hearing about how many people are living beneath the poverty line, about how many people have lost their jobs, about how many people are sick and dying. We're hearing all this information all day, every day. We're witnessing these terrible things. We're hearing about people who have passed away. We're, we know people who have passed away. Maybe we've gotten sick. And, you know, give yourself a minute to honor that you're being traumatized on a daily basis by this information and take a minute to watch your feelings happen, let the trigger, notice it, welcome it, let it pass. And then, you know what I mean? So I think allowing ourselves pauses to kind of decompress can like be a helpful tool in managing the incredible amounts of stress and triggers of this time. If you're not accustomed to thinking about your feelings and the physical and behavioral ways they manifest, and let's face it, it's a whole lot easier to just avoid it all or numb it out, where do you start? Zia Sheikh is a chef based in New York City who founded another nonprofit organization that focuses on providing mental health support to the industry. It's called Restaurant After Hours. Through personal struggles and professional support, he's learned a lot about how to keep in touch with all that's going on inside. In October of 2020, Zia wrote an open letter that was published by the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation. I found this letter to be incredibly impactful because it reflected Zia's pragmatism and big-hearted concern for his colleagues as they weathered the pandemic. So I asked him to read a paragraph for us. The critical starting point is learning how to take your own mental health temperature. How am I doing? Am I showing any symptoms of depression, anxiety, substance use, or eating disorders? Am I drinking, eating, sleeping, or crying too much? Is the anxiety of economic uncertainty or contracting COVID-19 impacting my own quality of life? These resources are available for you to help regulate these emotions. All it really comes down to is like, you know what, um, before you can take care of any problems, you need to learn to take care of yourself first. That's the thing, isn't it? In an industry that devotes itself to curating beautiful, nurturing, comforting, transformative experiences for diners, little energy is left over for that same sort of self-care. And lots of us, regardless of where we work, prioritize the needs of others over our own. I like to imagine that safety spiel they give on airplanes. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. 
I don't know about you, but that metaphor works for me. Here's Bobby again. In an emergency, we have to try to stay in the present as much as we can. And it's very understandable that we look back to things the way they were. We look to the future with anxiety and anticipation of what's going to happen. But it's really important when you notice yourself either going too far back or too far ahead to pull yourself into the present and to focus on what is instead of what isn't. That doesn't mean that there's not the room for grief and the feelings is is ultimately the most important thing to give yourself space to feel things. But I talk about the difference between thinking grief and feeling grief. Feelings we can't change, but thoughts we can notice and watch and have some control over. So I use the practice of mindfulness a lot. I think it's, there's a lot of availability online. There's um, you know Headspace and Calm and different apps that help people teach about mindfulness. But basically, it really teaches you to have tools to bring yourself into the present so that you're not racing too far ahead into the unknown future, which is what fear is. And, um, you know, through mindfulness, you can learn to maybe take a pause at those moments when you're really about to freak out. And you can notice that your mind can be a slayer. So I think one of the most important things is to try to find a way to use your mind as a healer instead of a slayer. This is great advice for how to build a practice that allows you to better understand and perceive emotions rather than being overtaken by them. During a global crisis, it's really hard to give our personal losses and traumas the attention they need. When there's a daily death count on the news, it can feel like what we're going through is insignificant. It can be like comforting to know that you're not alone and we're all seeing now people who have experienced grief in the past that I think like, you know, we're seeing it on such a global scale that it feels like, okay, we're all, you know, the whole, we're all in this together kind of thing. Um, you know, we're all able to relate to each other a bit more. And I think sometimes people who have experienced grief in the past can feel isolated and like nobody understands. So that's a positive. But at the same time, when your grief is lost in a sea of other grief, it can feel like, but wait, I was supposed to be able to have this time to be seen and and felt. We both are less connected and more connected because with the advent of virtual visits and virtual connection with people, we can stay connected. So I'm finding as a therapist that speaking to people virtually is very, very intimate. Um, I know that my clients feel that way, and I know that many people are going to AA meetings and self-help programs and yoga classes and meditation classes, and they're doing all the things that they really need for comfort, but they're doing them virtually. For many with existing mental health issues like depression, PTSD, a mood disorder, or substance use disorder, or those who have an unstable home life, at-home practices of self-care need to be supplemented by the support of a mental health professional. It can be really difficult for folks without health insurance or paid time off to get professional support for mental health issues. The vast majority of jobs in restaurants do not come with health care or any benefits. Most folks work on very low hourly wages and tips. The restaurant industry is not the only system that needs rethinking. Healthcare is expensive, and there are a lot of barriers to entry in this country. Therapy can be especially expensive. There is a growing movement to make healthcare a universal right and to include mental health care. But for now, 
help is available, regardless of your insurance, immigration, or economic situation. Zia Sheikh has spent a lot of time gathering information about where people can find support on the Restaurant After Hours website. The resources portion of the website starts with crisis hotlines. Now, this could be um, from the National Suicide Prevention Hotline to a crisis text line to NYC Well, which is the hotline that uh, the Thrive Department in New York City runs, um, whether it be sexual assault or uh, self-injury. Um, people that are looking for rehab assistance, uh, crisis lines for uh, people in the LGBTQIA plus community. Those hotlines are there just for you know saying, hey, you know what, um, I need to talk to somebody immediately. And quite honestly, when I was putting all this together, I was surprised about how much help is actually out there. No matter what you're going through, and in spite of how it might feel in the moment, you're not alone. And there are communities and individuals who can offer support. When we're going through difficult times, we need relax and release. And what I mean by that, relax does not mean putting your feet up and watching TV. It means some form of meditation, whatever that is, so that you can lose your mind. You know, just get out of your mind. And release is some way to let the energy out that builds up. Because like Zara was saying, there's such an intensity that's going on now that wasn't going on before. So we had regular life and now we have this. And it builds up in our chemistry, it builds up in our energy, and we need a way to release. So relax and release are two very important things when going through difficult times. If there is one thing I've learned in 2020, it's that I will never underestimate the power of pausing for a minute or two and taking a deep breath. (sighs) We've spent the last 11 months collectively clenching our shoulders, our jaws, holding our breath, waiting for it all to be over, or maybe for the other shoe to drop. Support is out there. We're all in this together. I'm going to share a short and easy breathing exercise after the credits, so stay with us if you'd like to take a moment to decompress a bit. If that's not your thing, no worries, and hang in there. I have a few resources to share from the guests featured in this episode and beyond. This information and more on organizations and individuals offering support during this time can be found in our show notes, so please check that out if you're looking for resources. Restaurant After Hours is launching a weekly virtual support group on Tuesdays, and anyone can join for folks in need of support working through substance issues. Ben's Friends holds virtual meetings that cater to hospitality professionals on Mondays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. Chow, another community support group based in Colorado, holds Zoom support groups in both English and Spanish on Mondays. Not 9 to 5 has additional resources on their website about management, training, and individual support, so check that out. If you or someone you care about is experiencing a mental health crisis, you can reach the Mental Health Crisis Line. Just text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741741 in the U.S., or 686868 in Canada. The LGBT National Hotline number is 888-843-4564. The Black Mental Health Alliance is 410-338-2642. Trans Lifeline is 877-565-8860.
Zia mentioned services offered by the City of New York. So if you want to learn more and have a confidential consultation about getting mental health support, you can call 1-888-NYC-WELL or text WELL, W-E-L-L, to 65173. I highly recommend Zara and Bobby's podcast, Processing. Each episode is an intimate and moving story about the intersection of food and grief. You can find it wherever you're listening to this show. Don't forget to subscribe to The Big Food Question wherever you get your podcasts. Check back often as we address critical questions for eaters, operators, and workers across food topics and business sectors. If you have questions you'd like the show to answer, email us at question at heritageradionetwork.org. Special thanks for this episode to Hassel Aviles, Bobby Conforto, Zara Tangora, and Zia Sheikh, as well as to John DeBerry and the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation for making some important connections. The Big Food Question is produced by Katie Mosman-Wadler, Kat Johnson, Dylan Hoyer, Matt Patterson, Luke Griffin, Armin Spengen, and Kevin Chang-Barnum. This week's executive producer was me, Hannah Forden. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder, and The Big Food Question is powered by Simplecast. The content of this series is provided for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. You should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this content. This project is funded in part by a Humanities New York CARES grant with support from the National Endowment for the Humanities and the Federal CARES Act. This program is also supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with City Council. The Big Food Question is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. Okay, thanks for sitting through the credits. As promised, I have a little breathing exercise in case you're interested. I really enjoy and find soothing um, the technique of alternate nostril breathing, which is a yogic practice. It's called Nadi Shodhana. So <clears throat> you want to take a comfortable seat in a place where you can really straighten your spine and stretch out. You're going to put your left hand just in your lap and bring your right hand um, up to your face. So with your right hand, you're going to um, sort of rest it on your forehead lightly, um, anchoring it just above your nose. You're going to close your eyes, and take a deep breath in and out, through your nose. Now next up, you're going to close your right nostril with your thumb of your right hand and inhale through the left nostril. Try to do your breathing slowly and with intention, filling your belly up. Once that inhale is complete, you're going to lift your thumb and then close your left nostril with your ring finger and exhale. So basically what you're going to do is you're going to go back and forth so that you're only inhaling out of your right nostril and only exhaling through your left nostril. And a little bit of overlap 
is helpful. Um, there are videos that you can find online. I know radio is probably not the best way to visualize this. Um, so going back and forth between your ring finger and your thumb on either nostril, you want to go through that about 10 breath cycles. And then you're going to stop and take some you know, natural deep breaths with both nostrils and then switch hands. So if you began with inhaling through your right nostril, you're going to switch and exhale through your right nostril and repeat another 10 cycles. Again, there are some really helpful videos out there and guides um, you can find online but it's a great place to start. I find that if you're feeling panicky or anxious or full of adrenaline for whatever reason, this provides a really good reset to your nervous system so that you can come back to yourself and find some clarity. So yeah, that's alternate nostril breathing. I recommend it. Be well. <laughs>